Hello, you are listening to the Nourish Gut Podcast. This space is for the woman who is suffering from digestive issues like IBS and SIBO. I am your host, Carly Raven. I am a naturopath, clinical nutritionist, gut health expert, and mother. My mission is to help educate you about IBS and SIBO and take you on a journey to resolving your digestive issues. I will have real conversations and give you solutions that I know actually work. So if you're ready to be bloat-free, poo better, have more energy and become free from the fear of food, then you are in the right place. Hello and welcome back to the Nourish Gut Podcast. Today I'm really excited to be joined by Rebecca Edwards. She has been on the Nourish Gut Podcast before and I'm very excited to be bringing her back uh, today but also in another future episode for 2023. Rebecca Edwards is the Director of Education of Activated Probiotics, is a speaker, writer, educator and qualified naturopath. She has 20 years of experience educating on all aspects of complementary and integrative health. A passionate and inspiring speaker, Rebecca has lectured to undergraduate students in Australia, the UK and the US and has delivered naturopathic education to healthcare practitioners around the world. She spent 10 years practicing as a naturopath in London while also teaching at the UK's largest college of natural medicine. This was followed by two years living in California, where she again lectured in holistic healthcare. Now based in Melbourne with her husband, 10-year-old son and very spoiled dog, Rebecca taught at Endeavour College of Natural Health before moving to activated probiotics full-time. As the Director of Education, she loves nothing more than sharing cutting-edge research with her team of educators and the practitioner and medical communities internationally. A big welcome to you. Thank you for joining us today, Rebecca. Thank you so much, Carly. It's always a pleasure to be with you and your gorgeous community of interested and interesting people. (laughs) So good. And I know people love hearing from you. So today we're going to be diving into um, the oral microbiome um, and we're going to be covering off things like diet, gum health, um, and even some of the wider implications that might be happening in this yeah, arena of health. Um, so maybe if we start off with, I think, um, because you've been on the podcast before, and if you haven't yet, if you're listening today and you haven't yet listened to the previous episode um, that we've had with Rebecca Edwards, I highly recommend that you do jump backwards. Um, you may even like to hit pause right now and go back um, and listen to that one because it's a really great overview of gut health, probiotic use. And I think there's a lot of myth busting that happens there. So it's a really fantastic episode that I uh, think everyone needs to listen to. So definitely go back and listen to that one. But I want to dive in today and look at and explain and get we'll get you to explain, Rebecca, to us the concept of the oral microbiome. And I guess its significance in the overall um in our overall health and well-being. Because we know a lot about the gut microbiome. We talk about that all the time, right? Like but we don't always talk about the oral microbiome and I don't even know if we've covered it yet on my podcast. So let's dive in. Can you kind of explain it a little bit to us? With pleasure. (laughs) 
this has been occupying so much of my kind of work hours the last few weeks because there's there's just so much to learn and it's exactly as you just said Carly that when we're when we're using that term microbiome we're so used to thinking about that in relation to the gastrointestinal microbiome and that's you know that's really important because the gastrointestinal microbiome is it is the largest community of microbes in and on the human body and now we have this burgeoning explosion of research showing us about the connection between the occupants of the gastrointestinal microbiome and their relationship with immune modulation and you know metabolic health and all the things that you talk about on your podcast and with your with your crew um, but you're right the oral microbiome has kind of been a bit left out of the conversation and the more I'm learning about it the more I'm like oh goodness this was a little oversight not talking so much about what's going on in the mouth and the, so the mouth is technically the mouth is part of the digestive system. You know, it's the opening of the digestive system. So in one sense, we can think about the microbial inhabitants of the mouth as being connected to the rest of the gut, but it's quite different from the gastrointestinal microbiome. The very first thing to note is that, and this is something is kind of blew my mind when I first realized it, the, your teeth are the only non-shedding surface of your body. Wow. What is that? Yeah, and of course you know that, but you don't think about it until you actually put it into words. And so what that means is that when microbes build up on the surface of teeth, like they do under plaque, they actually don't have any process or you know procedure or pathway via which that surface is shed or modified. And this kind of makes the gastro, the oral microbiome, almost in a sense, more permanent than the gastrointestinal microbiome. You know what we've got—the lining of the GIT. We've got all those epithelial cells which have really short lifespans. You know, enterocytes are the shortest-lived cells in the human body. They only live for about a week, and that means that the surface of the digestive system is constantly being replaced and repaired. But we don't have that in the mouth. So in the mouth, the mouth is the second most diverse and second most occupied microbiome. Um, obviously, the, the most activity of, of microbes we have in, in the human body is in the gut, but the mouth is the second most dense community of microbes. Um, it is more dense than the vagina or other genitourinary microbiome communities, uh, and it's really quite different to what's going on in the rest of the body. So you've got several kind of processes going on and several different individual sites for microbes to accumulate. You've got the surface of teeth, and then that's all complicated by the presence of, of a particular type of biofilm called dental plaque. And I'm sure everyone's aware of dental plaque. A dental plaque is, is really quite different to the formation of biofilms in other parts of the body. And I'm sure we can chat about that as we go as well. But we also have microbes on the gum surface. And most importantly, we have re really instrumental communities of microbes living in subgingival crevices. And what, what I mean by that is the the pockets which form between the teeth and the gums themselves and this is where there's a lot of activity which regulates the health of the teeth themselves but that also control the ph of the mouth and on a, a kind of a more macro level interact with the immune system and have absolutely significant effects on a wide variety of body processes and systems so there you go that's a very short answer to that question Carly of what is the oral microbiome 
It's so fascinating. And I think um, I'd like to explore kind of like the connection between the oral microbiome um, and, and diet. But before we kind of jump into that, I wanted to ask you a question because what I'm kind of seeing in practice, especially when we're doing microbiome uh, testing with patients, is we can see some oral species um, that can come up in stool testing. Um, and you know, the way I'm just kind of picking your brain here a little bit. I've just had a question come to me um, and I was like, I'm going to ask you. <laughs> um, and I, I'm curious about your thoughts on when these strains that we can find or species um, in our mouth and they're able to kind of travel through the digestive system, bypass the acidity and the acids within the stomach and then make their way into the digestive system. Um, do you have any kind of thoughts or concerns about that? Um, or, yeah, anything to share on that? Because um, I've kind of been diving into it a little bit and we're seeing quite a number of like five to seven different um, species and patterns in quite a number of stool tests that we're doing. Um, and some of these are linked to like poorer health outcomes. And yeah, like what's your thoughts on these things that are living in our mouth being able to resist digestion basically and then end up in our bowel? And do you think that's an issue? Well, I think there's a few things going on there probably. And I mean, it would depend on what species you're looking at. But if you're talking about things like um, like the Streptococcus mutans or Ophiromonas <laughs> gingivalis or the, you know, some of the red complex bacteria, I mean, there's, there's kind of several different, um, I guess, classes of oral yep. bacteria and they're considered... It's interesting the researchers kind of group them by color based on their impact on um, on on overall dental health. Um, so there's the you know there's several Streptococcus species: Oralis, Sanguinis, Mitis, Gordonii. There's the Capnocytophagia um, communities as well, um, and then we've got the Actinomyces. Are they the ones that you're seeing popping up in the stool test? Definitely the, the strep that I'm seeing. Yeah. We're seeing quite a lot of the strep um, uh, species uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and so the strep are considered to be part of the yellow complex, um, the actinomyces, the blue complex, and then it kind of, you know, they're, the the blue are kind of considered to be the, the early colonizers, the actinomyces, these are kind of the first species of bacteria which begin to colonize the oral microbiome after birth, and then as the teeth kind of pop through the gums, the streptococcus come next. Um, and these are kind of foundational species in the mouth. But if you're seeing them coming up in the stool tests as well, it's making me think of, of kind of a couple of different different directions where my brain would go. The first is coming down to, like you mentioned, acidity. And the thing is that when you have a, a, a overgrowth or a buildup of particular dental communities, this can often indicate that there is a, an uh, unfavorable pH change in the mouth. Generally, what we're trying to do, especially when we get down the track of looking at particular microbes, 
that we use as oral probiotics, one of the therapeutic outcomes we're looking to have is actually to reduce the acidity in the mouth, so to raise the pH. And this almost feels a little bit contradictory because often what we're trying to work on in the digestive system, and especially I know for you with you know your SIBO patients and patients who come to you with constipation and all of the long you know the the long term digestive issues that you treat, I know that often you're trying to work on improving you know like strengthening the production of acid in the stomach. For example, yeah. what we want to be doing in the mouth is reducing acidity because just from one perspective, it's acidity which erodes tooth tissue itself and causes cavities, etc. Um, and acidity can also increase the production of protease metabolites coming from these communities which break down gum tissue as well. Right. So my first thought is if you're seeing high levels of these oral microbes coming through in the stool test. I'm wondering if there is oral dysbiosis, which is allowing extreme overproliferation of these acid loving bacteria, which are then able to survive the acidic secretions further down in the digestive tract. And the next thing I'm thinking, and they'll go hand in hand, um, and I can't get through any conversation around gut health or, or microbial health without mentioning this word, is inflammation. Because, of course, when we have oral dysbiosis, we have inflammation. And, and this is another, you know, another one of those statements that in retrospect is kind of obvious, but when you say it, you really reflect on it. Gum disease is the most prevalent inflammatory condition in the world, in the whole world. Gum disease is the most common chronic inflammatory condition across wow, the world. I, I didn't actually know that. That's um, pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, it is. And it's, you know, there are several reasons for that. And actually rates of that even here in Australia. Yes, here in wow. Australia and across the whole world. Yeah. And um, from a public health perspective, it's really interesting because, you know, in prevalence of gum disease has um, some early stage research indicates it may have gone up over the last couple of years as people have had reduced access to healthcare professionals in the dental sphere. Um, but the incidences have absolutely skyrocketed over the past 30, 40 years across the whole world. And there's two things at play, really. The first is, yeah, coming back to that public health um, impact of access to dental hygiene care. And that this slight segue here, but this comes back to that story of the formation of biofilms in the form of dental plaque in the mouth and how the surface of teeth don't shed. So if you do have a buildup of plaque, the only way you can remove that is manually. And mm -hmm. if it has become so thick and so full of acid-loving bacterial communities that you can't scrape it off with your toothbrush or your own flossing at home, the only way to remove that is through a dental professional, like a proper dental clean. So that's one reason. Another reason is also a public health reason, really, is the increased prevalence of uh, refined carbohydrates across you know, the global dietary intake. And the reason for that is because there's a, you know, all of these communities of dental microbes, which love acid, when they come into contact with repeated exposure to sugar, this is when uh, when dental, um, you know, dental inflammation and cavities can take place. So frequent high intake of sugar and refined carbs can increase the concentration of acidogenic, you know, um, bacteria, which bacteria, which both love acid and produce acid within that dental plaque. 
when we have excessive and frequent production of acidic byproducts within that dental plaque, it leads to prolonged and repeated states of acidification and demineralization. Mm, uh, like a full circle, isn't it? Like this, like, and I can imagine this like a continuous cycle that's going on. And it makes so much sense because that the sugars are almost like a fuel source, aren't they, for these bacteria and the species. And it's the same thing that's happening, you know, in the small intestine from a SIBO perspective is that those, and I've talked about this a lot on this podcast, so I know a lot of people who are listening today have consumed a lot of my previous podcasts and I talk a lot about SIBO and how that those species are fermenting and using those FODMAPs and carbohydrates as fuel. So we can use that knowledge that we already have here and apply that to what Rebecca is saying today but just in our oral cavity, you know, and it, it makes so much sense. It absolutely is. It's a total feedback loop. You know, you've got sugar consumption continuing. If the plaque is not removed, you create this cycle that the mouth essentially becomes trapped in where the plaque is further and further building up. And another thing to think about with the plaque is it actually, not only does it create a biofilm where these acidic communities are protected from, you know, kind of the external environment and from brushing, but it also means that the mouth's own immune system can't access them as well, like you see in, you know, in, in biofilm formation in, in SIBO and other um, digestive conditions as well. So your own immune system can't even act on these negative disease-causing bacteria as well, even though it's trying to because you've got this local inf inflammation and these inflammatory processes being triggered which is further recruiting local immune system environment and it just creates an absolute mess of inflammation which as you know very well feeds into a whole range of other health conditions throughout the whole body. Mm. And when we think about um, the impacts that refined sugar and diet is having and the direct correlation with that feedback loop and that cycle that we've just talked about, and then if we can kind of look at, okay, well, the lifespan, um, you know, and uh, we see a lot of kids at our clinic um, and with like a lot of uh, gut issues and you know, I do think that sugar and refined sugar, that's even now in three-month-old baby food, you know. So we have uh, a very high exposure from a very young age now. And so I think, you know, this is a really beautiful reminder for everyone to really look at um, our diet um, as prevention. Um, and I know that everyone's kind of like, I know not to eat sugar, but to have that education, but then to actually take action and make change um, and actively live a life where you're trying to reduce it is a whole other, you know, um, kettle of fish. So because it is addictive, um, you know, sugar is like sparks that you know brain center and alarm that goes off and then you just want more um you know I know when I uh happen to have a nibble on some Cadbury chocolate um I'm constantly reminded of like holy moly that's so sweet but give me more you know and I don't eat it very often but when I do I'm like that is delicious <laughs> That's the reason we, you know, we're primed to love sugar yeah. because it tastes so good and it makes us feel good. And it's, you know, it, it's, and something that I know is important for you as well, Carly, is I always feel like it's, it's really important for people, especially parents of young kids, not to beat themselves up as well. And I've had so many conversations with parents of kids who have just come back from the dentist and, you know, the mom is absolutely devastated to be told that her five-year-old needs a general anesthetic to have teeth out, for example. Yeah. And she just feels so guilty herself. And so talking about the oral microbiome and its impact on cavity risk 
it's I almost want to give these mums just the biggest hugs and say, you know, it's it's not the odd bit of chocolate that is causing your kids um, tooth decay here. We've got to look at something bigger. We've got to look at microbial balance. Um, and yes, sugar is part of the story, but it's no means the only part of the story. You know, your microbiome is so much bigger than the result of one single meal, as you know very well. Um, and it's, you know, it's giving parents knowledge around how do we create a diverse and healthy microbiome, which is where mm. your teaching becomes so important across across the generations as well, Carly. Yeah, so beautifully said. So is there anything else that you wanted to touch on in relation to diet was the main thing you wanted to talk about um, in terms of the connection between the oral microbiome and diet being sugar. That's the main finding or. Um... It's, I mean, yes. And, but also something that, again, I don't think this will be any surprise to you. It's really interesting to find out that the same diet that we generally recommend for a diverse and healthy gastrointestinal microbiome is the same diet that research shows us is associated with a more diverse and healthier oral microbiome. And that's a diet really high in fruits and veg and fibers and a diet that has a lower you know, percentage coming from refined foods and sugary foods. And that won't be a surprise to anyone, I don't think. Absolutely not. I don't think there's a podcast that goes um, by where I don't discuss eat more veggies and fruit and have more diversity. So, you know, we're just reinforcing that again today. Um, so maybe like what are the actual consequences? Because we've kind of talked about what's happening um, in the oral microbiome, some dietary factors, but what are the actual consequences? So if we do have that, like, you use that um, five-year-old um, as an example where they then needed to go and have interventions done, um, because of that imbalance of the oral microbiome, are we looking at here kind of having poor gum health? Um, have you found any information about it being linked to other gastrointestinal diseases or issues or systemic? Yeah, I want to pick your yes. brain about that. <laughs> oh my goodness, you have to you have to hold me back because Sorry. It, it kind of, <laughs> has kind everyone of got an hour and a half? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I will I will try to edit my brain, but actually, <laughs> here's how the story goes. You know, the first thing that happens is that we see the development of gingivitis. So let's kind of define gingivitis. When we use the, the kind of prefix ginge relating to oral health, we're referring to gum health. So gingiva is the fancy name for gums, essentially. So gingivitis is inflammation within the gingival tissue, so inflammation in the gums. And this results in bleeding gums and the formation of what they call in, you know, dental research, um, deeper pockets. So when we talk about the pockets, I've got a great kind of picture in my mind of how this looks like. I always think of what, what a healthy tooth and gum should look like or be like is it's the, imagine that your tooth is wearing a turtleneck jumper and the neck of that turtleneck jumper is nice and snug around the, the bottom part of the tooth. So a healthy tooth and gum has the gum tissue nice and snug around the tooth like a turtleneck jumper. But when communities of these acid-loving inflammatory bacteria begin to build up under the gum, they push the neck of that turtleneck jumper out and you know, imagine a turtleneck jumper where the neck's gone kind of floppy and it's falling down a little bit. That's what happens when we've got gingivitis. We've got communities of microbes building up under that gum lining and pushing the gum outwards. And this then allows a formation of gingival crevices um, and deeper pockets. 
Gingivitis, the first stage of gum inflammation, this is eminently treatable. It's very, very easily reversed through um, going to the dentist or dental hygienist treated by plaque removal. So if you can scrape away the plaque, that thick biofilm, which is protecting those damaging microbes, then it's generally resolved really quickly. But if it's not resolved, then the next stage is called periodontitis. And periodontitis is a much more serious gum infection. And this is where we see damage to the soft tissue around the teeth. And this occurs often when gingivitis is left untreated. So what happens here is these acid-loving inflammatory communities of microbes build up and proliferate, and they begin to secrete proteases, proteases being enzymes which degrade protein. And this means these bacteria actually feed on proteins and where they get that protein from, and this is so slightly creepy, <laughs> is from breaking down gum tissue. So they actually oh. dissolve gum tissue to mm. feed their own growing community. So they produce these proteases, which breaks down your gum, which gives them access to the protein. So the communities of microbes can grow and access these nutrients. As this gingival tissue breaks down, provides more protein, more nutrients, supports proliferation of more bacteria, and we have those pockets deepening and creating spaces for the expansion of the dental plaque and the microbial communities within. This can then lead to destruction of gum tissue around teeth, but also um, looseness of teeth. And this is ultimately where we see loss of teeth because there's damage to the periodontal ligaments. And sometimes the infection can reach all the way down to the alveolar bone and start feeding on the bone itself. It's really mm. quite awful to think about. So these are some of the consequences within the mouth, but then the whole inflammatory and immune dysregulation picture becomes deeper and deeper as well. And, you know, like I said before, gum disease is the most common inflammatory condition across the world. And think about it. I mean, for any naturopaths listening or, you know, even I know a lot of your listeners who are really well versed in, in health conditions, Whenever we talk about chronic disease, we always talk about inflammation as an underlying driver and contributor. You know, we now know about the connection between, like I was just, I was giving a presentation last week on bone density. And we know that people who have even really low grade chronic inflammation in earlier parts of their lives have an increased risk of experiencing osteoporosis later in life. And so think about the connections between walking around with essentially a, a chronic infection in your mouth when you've got just a little bit of bleeding gum or a little bit of sore, you know, gum, gum tissue or gum inflammation, that this could be paving the way for setting the scene for more significant conditions. There is a, a relationship between the oral microbiome and its dysbiosis and autoimmune disease as well. Um, and that's something that's quite interesting to think about when we almost have like an, an immune subversive situation going on. Um, the, and you know, the inflammation that you're just mentioning, you know, it makes sense, like autoimmune disease is highly inflammatory. So that, you know, it does make sense. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, as practitioners, when we're talking to patients with autoimmune disease, we often look for causes of underlying inflammation that could be mm -hmm. feeding that immune dysregulation. So I would really encourage any practitioners, you know, listening to this and thinking about the oral microbiome, keep that 
in mind when you're talking to your patients with Hashimoto's and psoriasis and, you know, ulcerative colitis and, and other conditions going on. So there's that relationship between systemic autoimmune disease, you know, for sure. But some of the research has actually been really particular on rheumatoid arthritis. There's a really strong link between the oral microbiome and rheumatoid arthritis. There are actually now 19 high quality clinical epidemiological and serological studies linking these two conditions. Yeah. Um, that's one interesting thing to think about. Oh, um, Really. And I think it's also like it shines a light on, you know, for us as practitioners, um, the need to be asking about uh, dental issues and the health of the gums. And even as part of our clinical observations, having a quick look, just getting them to, you know, to see if we can see any active inflammation or asking our patients about when their last dental checkup was and what those, you know, what the outcomes were um, and including that as part of our case taking, especially if they've got gut issues or, you know, as you were just saying, something like rheumatoid arthritis or autoimmune conditions. So hopefully, you know, today's conversation serves as inspiration in that aspect as well. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's not just um, autoimmune disease, it's probably the best known connection between the oral microbiome and systemic health is with cardiovascular health too. And I think a lot of people are aware of this, even if they're not remotely interested in gut health at all, because over the past few years, there have been a few presentations out there in the media talking, and this is quite interesting, talking about the link between using mouthwash and high blood pressure. And at first you know, first listen, this sounds a little bit counterintuitive. Like, aren't we supposed to be taking care of our dental health? Isn't that one of the ways we look after our cardiovascular health? So surely, surely using mouthwash is a good thing for heart health, right? Except that the research has shown us that it's not. And this is so interesting. What's going on? You know, the mechanisms here are looking very particularly at a type of mouthwash, which is um, an, an antibacterial mouthwash, chlorhexidin, which is often recommended as part of the treatment for gum disease and other inflammatory conditions in the mouth. Um, but it's it's essentially, you know, quite similar to uh, just as we talk about antibiotics having, you know, an important role to play in infections, but antibiotics also reducing commensal bacteria and healthy bacteria and leading on to potential side effects in that way, using a chlorhexidin mouthwash mm. can certainly reduce communities of microbes which cause gum disease, but it will also wash out and kill a lot of the microbes which are responsible for immune modulation and pH regulation in the mouth. And these particular pieces of research have found that using mouthwash, even for as little as seven days, this chlorhexidin mouthwash has been found to significantly increase blood pressure. The reason for that comes back to the role that oral microbes play in regulating blood pressure. And this is because oral microbes actually are crucial for... Um, the nitrate nitric oxide pathway. So your, your cardiovascular system actually relies on oral bacteria to reduce nitrate to nitric oxide. And nitric oxide is a substance which regulates vascular endothelial function. So in other words, regulates elasticity of your blood vessels and therefore 
um, manages blood pressure. So by essentially killing microbes in your mouth, you are reducing your body's ability to regulate its own blood pressure. And we now have direct research showing that using antimicrobial mouthwashes raises blood pressure within a week. How cool is that? Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And then when you start to think about the amount of people who use mouthwash and think that they're doing, you know, the right thing, I'm going to have to ask my dad. <laughs> yes, we all have to go and ask our parents this. I'm picking up the phone. I'll be like, Dad, uh, I need to check something with you. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's even, you know, the results actually appear within one day of use. So just yeah. using chlorhexidine for one day is enough to increase blood pressure significantly. Um, and it, you know, just it's sustained across the whole time you use that mouthwash. Mm -hmm. So would definitely be saying it's no surprise, really, when you think about think about like the philosophy around antibiotic use when antibiotics first became, you know, in widespread use in the 1950s and 60s and really kind of ramped up in the 1970s. How exciting was the world of medicine? You could give antibiotics to kill all of these infections that had plagued people for years and years. And antibiotics were the new best thing since sliced bread. We've since learned that, you know, with power comes responsibility and comes consequences. And now there's a lot of research and a lot of education going into reducing the use of antibiotics um, where, where entirely possible. And I think we're entering that era with, um, with the oral microbiome as well, that again, this whole concept of using an antibacterial mouthwash to kill bacteria that cause gum inflammation and reduce um, risk of cavities has had a bit of a hallelujah moment. And now we're realizing, oh, no, this isn't such a good idea. We really need to be looking at, surprise, surprise, we need to be looking into bacterial balance rather than bacterial destruction when it comes to maintaining not just oral wellness, but systemic wellness as well. Hello, this is a quick break from today's episode to step you into a world of gut health mastery with my Nourish Gut Fundamentals Practitioner course, a self-study program tailor-made for health professionals like you. Say goodbye to uncertainty as you gain the expertise to create a clear process for assessing your patient's digestive health, ensuring a precise and effective diagnosis and treating by going through testing results of both SIBO and microbiome. Dive deep into the intricate realm of all things gut disorders such as IBS, SIBO, IBD, candida, arming yourself with profound understanding that will truly transform your approach to client care. Become a pro at case-taking, deciphering through critical information and crafting personalized treatment strategies that resonate with each individual's need. And here's the icing on the cake. Unlock the secrets of reading a SIBO breath test in just five minutes, saving valuable time and providing timely relief to your clients. But that's not all. The course empowers you to unravel the mysteries of microbiome results, enabling you to address your client's most persistent health concerns with laser-focused precision. Join an exclusive community of fellow practitioners providing mutual support and guidance in a dedicated Facebook group and enjoy lifetime access to course materials, keeping you at the very forefront of the ever-evolving world of gut health. And guess what? As a special offer... Our valued podcast listeners, you can use the code FUNDAMENTALS100, all in capitals, at the checkout and enjoy an incredible $100 off the upfront payment. Don't miss the extraordinary opportunity to step into a brighter future as a certified Nourish Gut practitioner. 
Enroll now by visiting the link in the show notes of today's episode. Can I get you just really quickly, because I know you've probably blown a lot of minds right now. I just want you to, um, or let's um, break it down slightly. So when you say that the oral microbiome and the, uh, the, the species in the mouth can affect the cardiovascular system, that was because they're basically producing metabolites, which is where you're talking about the nitrate and the conversion there. Is that correct? So the, the oral microbiota is involved in systemic nitrate metabolism yep. and it's crucial for the production of nitric oxide, which is a really important vasodilator. About approximately 25% of all ingested nitrate, so this is nitrate that we're taking in, in our diet, it's transported back to the oral cavity after digestion via circulation. So mm -hmm. salivary glands extract nitri nitrates from the blood which then accumulate in saliva, so they're in the oral cavity. And then we have facultative anaerobic nitrate-reducing bacteria, which are found in the highest concentration on the dorsal surface of the tongue. Wow. So these are microbes which live on our tongue. They're part of our overall oral microbiome, and their job is to reduce nitrate to nitrite. Nitrite is then ingested and taken back into the bloodstream after digestion and absorption, and it then forms an important source of nitric oxide. And then nitric oxide exerts important vasodilation and antihypertensive effects, which then go on to promote cardiovascular health in general. So nitric oxide signaling pathways play an important role in you know, systemic cardiovascular health. And it's been known for a long time that disruptions to nitric oxide signaling um, has been associated with pulmonary hypertension, obesity, cardiovascular disease. And this is just one way that the oral microbiome is associated with cardiovascular health. Another is the fact that the mouth is so highly vascularized. And what I mean by that is that you've got such so many blood vessels carrying so much blood in all of your gum tissue. I mean, you know what happens if you, you know, if you have a mouth injury, it bleeds a lot. Yeah. And that's because you have a lot of blood vessels in the mouth. So it means that there's, there's a lot of opportunity for microbes to move from the mouth directly into the bloodstream. And again, I'm sure that you and some of your listeners are aware that people who have had, for example, have had heart valve replacement surgery, if they've got artificial valves in their heart, or if they have a previous history of rheumatic fever, which is a streptococcus infection around the valves in the heart, then whenever they go in for any kind of dental treatment, it's recommended that they take a course of prophylactic antibiotics in the lead up to visiting the dentist to reduce the risk of bacteria entering the bloodstream from the mouth and then entering the heart and causing um, infections around the valves in the heart. So there's this very, you know, I, I always like to think of it as like there's a there's a doorway between yeah. directly from your mouth to systemic circulation and your mouth, you know, you really want to make sure that that door is really tightly controlled. Um, so that's another way that... Uh, you know, the, there's a relationship between the oral microbiome and cardiovascular health as well. 
It can almost seem a little bit daunting, but for me, it's almost a little bit empowering. Um, you know, I think we could do with a bit of a reframe here because this can sound everyone kind of freaks out as soon as you start talking about the heart and, you know, our cardiovascular system. But I think that, you know, what we really want to be doing today is using this as education to empower us um, to make those changes and to be more educated um, rather Absolutely. than, you know, scared and, and you know. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm such a fan of just always saying to everyone, you know, what there's always something you can do like yeah. this this knowledge may seem scary and overwhelming but exactly what you said Carly think of it as empowering think about what you can do Absolutely. So we've talked about obviously reducing um, sugar um, from the diet. Um, and what else can we be doing in terms of maintaining good oral health? We now know to avoid, you know, use of mouthwash. So that's another handy tip we've gained from today. Can you enlighten us with maybe some other strategies? Because I know you've been, you know, actively researching yeah I've been down this rabbit hole for a while yeah tell us what have you been finding and what are your suggestions I think one of the most important things that's really been brought home to me is really how crucial it is to maintain your relationship with your dentist or your dental hygienist and it's as naturopaths we love to be you know we love to be general specialists we love to have knowledge that can help the whole body but it's one of the really important pieces of knowledge that we need to accumulate is to know when to refer to other health practitioners. And when it comes to the oral microbiome, making sure that our patients are regularly seeing a dental hygienist or dentist, it's actually going to be a really important part of, of overall wellness. Um, we just often don't have the ability at home to remove these, you know, these dental plaque communities and this is going to be really important there when it comes to diet and lifestyle it's all the standard things Carly I'm not going to say anything that will surprise you it's fruit and veg it's fiber it's um, some really interesting research which again won't be a surprise to anyone avoiding smoking but also vaping there's recent research showing that um, vaping can also have a negative impact on the oral microbiome so smoking and vaping alcohol is another one and you know again we know that alcohol can alcohol is a double-edged sword like it has it has a lot of social benefits for a lot of people but we always acknowledge that alcohol is is not a friend of the microbiome um, so having a think about social practices as well um, and then you know there's there's specific strains of probiotic which have been found to have benefits across a whole range of outcomes right from reducing gum inflammation reducing plaque formation reducing risk of dental cavities um, and then right into having impact on cardiovascular health, metabolic health, um, and neurological health as well. So definitely I'm a big fan of having a look at, you know, as always with activated probiotics, it's kind of the philosophy of the company I work with, um, evidence-based condition-specific, strain-specific probiotics as well. Amazing. Can we go, can we talk about some of that? Can we talk about the strengths yeah. or like, um, yeah, what you would be recommending there um, for patients and for practitioners as well? Because I know that this is, um, some of this is relatively new as well. So yes. I'd love to. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the reason I've, I've kind of been down this rabbit hole is because we're just in the throes of releasing a newest product, Biome Dental. Biome Dental is a very well evidenced oral microbiome probiotic. It's four 
four strains of microbes, and these microbes have been trialed together in this exact combination and dosage and formulation um, and found to have some pretty cool outcomes in both adults and children. And they kind of go back to what I was saying before around looking at um, reducing some of those oral specific outcomes, gingivitis, gum inflammation, um, reducing salivary pH, sorry, increasing salivary pH to reduce oral acidity. Um, there are actually 10 clinical trials on this combination of specific strains at the moment, which means there's an awful lot of evidence out there showing how these strains can impact you know, oral health as well as systemic health. The interesting thing is that the way you take oral probiotics is quite different to the way you take general gastrointestinal probiotics. Generally, when we're giving someone supplemental probiotics for gut health or immune regulation or even vaginal health, you know, the advice is you swallow them and you swallow them um, and they go into, they go through the stomach acid, they go into the intestinal tract, and then they start interacting with your immune system across the intestinal tract wall. When you're looking at using probiotics to specifically target the oral microbiome, you've got a really different process of administration. So with Biome Dental, the idea behind it is that they're sachets of powder. And if you've used any of the activated probiotics kids products before, you'll be familiar with the sachets of powder, but these are really different. All of the kids probiotics that we have, they're in a fast melt formulation, which is designed to kind of melt in the mouth, but still be, um, you know, be swallowed with biome dental or with oral probiotics in general, you actually want the bacteria to stay in the mouth because you want them to be interacting with those subgingival communities and getting down into those pockets, like imagining them kind of traveling down between the tooth and the, its turtleneck jumper that it's wearing. So the way you take oral probiotics is you take the powder into your mouth last thing at night after you've finished brushing your teeth and flossing and doing all of your dental hygiene practices. You take the powder last thing at night, you kind of swish it around the teeth and it, it's really almost magical it kind of just dissolves it just disappears um, but it's left with a really there's a really lovely minty flavor in there tastes I think it tastes like candy canes it's lovely and it, it just leaves this kind of minty flavor um, and no real kind of film sensation but then while you're sleeping these bacteria are working their way into all of those crevices and pockets and they are helping to regulate the pH around the teeth they're helping to reduce the presence of these um, acid forms populations and bring a little bit more um you know probiotic balance etc to the communities around the teeth and gums so awesome I, I love that I think it's like it, it's good to have a different um it makes sense to have that I suppose you know because it is so um different to the gut microbiome um so yeah awesome I'm excited yes. to try it I need to get I need to add, add it to my order my next order and give it a go yeah, they're really fun. And they're they're also great for kids as well, being a powder that just dissolves in the mouth. So it's, you know, it's another story where parents won't have too much trouble getting the good things into their kids as well. So good. And do you uh, recommend this um, for active kind of infections and inflammation or can it be used um, like as a prevention as well? Or is it more yeah. indicated for like once children or adults actually have like an active issue going on in their in their mouth 
This is really the benefit of having a wide range of clinical trials to look at because you can see that this combination of strains has been shown to reduce gum inflammation, but it's also been shown in other clinical trials to really significantly reduce the buildup of dental plaque. So I would very much consider using it, obviously, when we have people who have dental issues which need addressing, it can be part of that process, but I'd also really consider using it prophylactically to maintain the effects of having a dental clean. So I would start using it after having your next teeth, you know, next tooth clean through the hygienist to maintain um, an environment where plaque is less able to form up and those communities are less able to build up. But I'd also look at it um, kind of long-term for people who are at risk of um, some of those conditions, which may be more systemically linked to the oral microbiome. And one that we haven't touched on yet, but which I'm finding absolutely fascinating is Alzheimer's. There's really, really strong evidence linking oral dysbiosis with Alzheimer's. And it's so much of it comes back to the formation of those microbial communities that produce those protease enzymes. So what the researchers are seeing in Alzheimer's patients is there's a particular group of microbes which are present um, in kind of the latter stages of oral dysbiosis. And these microbes have been um, shown to appear in the amyloid plaque which is present in the brains of people with Alzheimer's. So yeah. what's going on? It's it's so freaky. It's so science fictiony. Mm -hmm. What's going on there? The researchers think is that there's one particular type of bacteria, Porphyromonas gingivalis, and this is this is identified as one of what researchers call the red triad. So it's a combination of bacteria which have been well identified as being associated with oral inflammation and, and periodontal disease, but it's there's more than that. So research, re, blah, sorry, I'm so excited about this topic. I'm literally oh, tongue <laughs> over the words. Um, yeah. People who have gum disease have a 70% increased risk of being diagnosed with Alzheimer's. That's one terrifying fact, number one. Porphyromonas gingivalis is one of the red triad. It's the bacterium most associated with oral disease. It's especially well known for destroying gum tissue. And that's because it releases a substance called gingipanes, which is a trypsin-like cysteine protease. So this is a, a protein-degrading protein enzyme, which it also degrades cytokines, which means it essentially disables the, your host, your oral immune response to gum disease. So when you have high communities of Porphyromonas gingivalis, you are essentially cutting off your immune system's ability to reduce the inflammation which is forming as the gum is being broken down. Now, both P. gingivalis and the ginger pains protease that it produces have been found in the brain tissue of people with Alzheimer's. And one study found that in more than 90% of postmortems carried out on Alzheimer's brains, that ginger pains had been found in, in more than 90% of these brains. So what the researchers think is happening is that this particular protease is able to degrade um, the tau proteins in central nervous system tissue and essentially remodel them to form these neurofibrillary tangles that we see in Alzheimer's patients. So they may actually be really key to the formation of the plaque, which we know damages the central nervous system in Alzheimer's. So where I'm going here is what I would say is 
certainly I would consider thinking about the oral microbiome when you are looking at causes of dementia and reducing the risk of dementia and Alzheimer's, especially where there's family history, for example, I'd be absolutely thinking about everything you can do to look after someone's oral microbiome. And that would, for me, absolutely include using evidence-based probiotic strains for sure. Yeah, amazing. And we know as we age, those risk factors go up, you know, and that you're more likely to have poorer outcomes or findings in in the oral um, cavity as well. So um, yeah, prevention, again, you know, is is so, so important here. It always comes down to prevention, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, is there anything else that you wanted to share with us today? Because I know that this is a big, wide world. Um and, you know, we're coming to the end here, but is there anything else before? Well, I feel like I've probably frightened people enough. So what I would say is I really, I really don't want anyone to feel, to feel scared. Again, like the, taking back to our earlier conversation, feel empowered. Think about what can I do for my oral microbiome today? I'm going to drink lots of water because hydration becomes really, really important. Saliva is the unsung hero of the mouth, honestly. If you're producing plenty of saliva, it's saliva that holds the key to, um, you know, moisturizing gum tissue, to providing immune factors and all sorts of things. Drinking plenty of water is really important. Um, addressing other oral hygiene practices that may not initially seem related like um, mouth breathing. Mouth breathing is associated with more oral dysbiosis and more dehydration of oral tissue as well. So really concentrating on breathing through the nose, especially at night, addressing that if that's a concern for you. Um, but again, eating a diet which is going to be supporting a diverse and health giving microbiome, attending to dental hygiene practices and, um, you know, accessing information around, around strain specific probiotics if you need to. So awesome. And I just had something come to me again. This happens to me multiple times when I'm hosting and interviewing you guys. Um, I was just thinking uh, coffee consumption is often something that it, it's a part of a daily routine for a lot of people. Um, you know, I think most people at least have a cup of coffee a day. Um, do you have you found anything there about, you know, and maybe it's more about excess coffee, coffee consumption on the oral cup? I, I don't know. I'm just yeah. going to hand over to you. I think you know what I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm always I'm always um, pretty cautious about demonizing the holy cup of coffee for so yeah. many people. Um, and it's really interesting because overall, coffee is actually associated with a wide range of health benefits. And again, if we want to kind of reflect on Alzheimer's, there is mm -hmm. a you know a negative association between um, like what I mean by negative association is there's a a correlation between um, number of cups of coffee and Alzheimer's reduction. So people who drink lots of coffee have a reduced risk of Alzheimer's actually. Yes. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the, um, the oral microbiome, um, tea is actually possibly more of an issue than coffee. Wow. And, yeah. And that may be due to the tannins in tea. Yep. Um, but also, I mean, having said that the, the research is, is, the research has pointed out that there's a difference in the abundance of several kind of taxa of you know families of oral microbes we don't really know their significance um, but coffee consumption is far less associated with dysregulation of the oral microbiome so wow. enjoy enjoy your daily coffee with um with pleasure oh that's good I'm sure people will be like now I'm happy <laughs> right. we've ended on a high that's what we always want to do right 
always <laughs> oh thank you so much Rebecca it's just been absolutely wonderful I love um chatting with you and um stay tuned guys because we do have another episode coming out soon with the lovely Rebecca Edwards and we're covering off um in particular constipation so that'll be coming out um later this year so yeah we will get to talk to you then amazing thank you as always Carly thank you you're welcome. And like always, if you could please like um, and subscribe to our podcast. And if you found this information um, uh, helpful and you think there's someone else that could benefit from it, uh, please share it because it helps us uh, uh, be able to continue to bring these episodes to you every single month. Take care and we'll see you next time. Did you like what you heard? Leave us a review. If you'd like to learn more about my Nourish Gut program or the Nourish Gut Kids membership, head over to my website. Would you like to be a part of a community that gets it? Join our Facebook group, Nourish Gut Community, or come and follow me over on Instagram. All of these links can be found in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next time on the Nourish Gut Podcast.